0: We know that our goal, of course, as believers is to share our faith and to tell people about how they can have eternal life. And sometimes when we share our faith, we ask a question like this. We say, uh, will you go to heaven when you die? And people say, oh, I want to go to heaven. And we, we ask questions like, do you want to go to heaven? Well, we know that God loves us. We've all sinned and come short sure of the glory of God. God sent his son Jesus to die for us and pay for sins. And, and whoever believes in him has what? What do we have? Eternal life. And so here's a question. Here's a question to think about. Is going to heaven and having eternal life the same thing? Because how many times have you might have ever said to somebody, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And, and, we, and they say, well, I hope so. And you say, well, how do you want to know for sure? But you're also telling them what? How can they have what? Eternal life. And so the question is, is going to heaven and having eternal life the same thing? Well, the answer is no. And we're going to talk about it, how it fits together. Because we realize that eternal life is life forever with Jesus Christ. Going to heaven is a particular time. And that going to heaven for a particular time is not even the kingdom. And so we're going to see it as we go through it. This morning we want to focus on the subject of the kingdom. It's a future time on this earth when believers will be with Jesus Christ. And so we talk about that. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as what? Okay, let's wake up. Here we go. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as what? The King. Okay, so we we we're talking about a kingdom and the King. In fact, it's found all throughout uh, this. So, what does God have for us? What is the kingdom like? So, we're going to look at some questions. So, you've got your hand out. Let's think about some different questions, and we're going to talk about the kingdom. And the first question is this: What is the kingdom? When we think about Bible, in the Bible, there are two, if you read through the Scriptures, especially the Gospels, you find that there is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And they're sometimes used interchangeably, sometimes they're not. Here's the best that we can understand. Kingdom of God is just the rule of God over all things. So if you said, are we all in the kingdom of God, meaning that he controls and works all things according to the counsel of his will, the answer is yes. When we say kingdom of heaven... Kingdom of heaven is actually referring to a time on the earth, a time in which Jesus Christ will rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's on the earth. In fact, we're going to find in a little bit it's on this earth and another earth. And we'll see that in just a minute as well. So the kingdom of heaven is a particular time period in which God rules, which Jesus Christ rules as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it's an earthly kingdom... And who's the king? Who's the kingdom? Uh, Who's the uh, king of the kingdom? Who is it? It's Jesus. Exactly right. Now, look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here is a promise to King David because King David was promised that he would have a son that would sit on the throne of David, which is the kingdom, forever. Now, that didn't happen with David. David died. Solomon died. Uh, the, all the other kings died. There's never been a king that sits on the throne forever. That king is going to be Jesus Christ. So look at the promise. Here is Nathan telling something to David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are complete, David, when you die, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, that sounds like who? Who came after David. Solomon. That's who we think. But he says, he shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom, what does it say? Forever. Now, who built the house? Solomon. But did he have the kingdom forever? No. So if you go down a little further and you look at verse 16, your house is... And your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan told David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-17, through God says to David, After you die, David, there's going to be your descendant who's going to come, and he's going to rule on the throne forever. Now, who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus. What was Jesus called when he was on the earth? He was called the son of David, see? And that's who he is. And so here's a literal promise. There will be a kingdom. And David David probably thought at first it was Solomon. And then he realized, well, when I hear this, it's got to be somebody other than Solomon. And he realized it was going to be the Messiah. So the first question is, what exactly is the kingdom? The kingdom is a time on the earth, and we're going to see more information about it in a minute, in which the Messiah, the King, will rule, okay? So here's the second question. When will the kingdom take place? Well, I want you to notice this, that Jesus lived and died and and died and rose again and ascended into heaven. We know that we are the church age right now. This is us. It's been going on 2,000 years. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're telling people about Jesus Christ. One of these days, Jesus is going to come in the clouds. He's going to take us out. Following that will be a time period called the what? The tribulation at seven years is dealing with the nation of Israel. It's the final seven years of the 490 years that God promised to them. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back to the earth as the what? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, as Revelation 19, and he sets up a kingdom. We call this the millennial kingdom because it lasts for how long? Last for a thousand years. We'll get more information in just a minute. So the question here is, when is this kingdom going to come? And it's going to come at his, at his second coming, basically. And then I want you to see something. This kingdom starts here, and then there's this great white throne judgment, and then there's a new heavens and a new earth, and that kingdom is then called the eternal kingdom. Now let me show you something. So the first time Jesus Christ came, he came to die. The second time he comes to reign. Let me go back if I can to show you that. Remember, the first time he came to die, the second time he comes to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The eternal state, the eternal kingdom is called, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, the kingdom is called the eternal kingdom. So when the thousand-year reign on this earth is over, that's not the end of the kingdom. Okay? A lot of times people say, well, the kingdom's a thousand years. The kingdom begins with a thousand years on this earth. So that takes us really to the third question, and that is, where will the kingdom take place? And it, we're going to see on this earth and a new heaven and a new earth. If you read Revelation, I'm going pretty quickly because I had some, some people say they wanted, you know, we, if you have questions, we're going to raise, give you some time to do the questions. But if you remember, Jesus Christ in Revelation 19 verse 11 comes out of the heavens and comes to this earth. He comes to the Mount of Olives. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he sets up a kingdom and we'll be with him. And he rules there on this earth For a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Revelation 20, then 21 and 22, he makes a new heavens and a new earth, and he rules as the king for all eternity. So when we talk about the kingdom, would it be better to say to someone, if you die, would you want to go to the kingdom, or would you say, would you want to go to heaven? It's actually the kingdom, right? Heaven is for a short time. Heaven is for a short time. Because when Jesus raptures, comes down and gets it, we're going to be taken up, and then seven years we'll be up there, and then we come back to the earth. And anybody that's died before then, they're absent from the body is to be where? Present, where is Jesus? Seat the right hand of the Father in the third heavens. But that's not where he's going to be forever right? He's going to come back to this earth and go for a thousand years and then for all eternity on a new earth. So in reality, when you ask people and you say, if you were to die, would you like to go to heaven? We we know what we mean by that. We're actually saying to them, would you like to have eternal life and be with Jesus Christ forever? Because if you just said, I want to go to heaven, then when he comes back to the earth, are you going to say, I'm just going to stay up here? No, oh no, we we don't. We're going to be with him, see? So that's the plan. So where will the kingdom take place? It'll take place on this earth and then a new heaven's and a new earth. Most of you have read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. In chapter 21, he starts off by saying, "I saw a new heavens and a new earth, because the first heaven and earth had passed away. There was no more sun. He sees the king. He sees the Messiah. There's no. It's right because he's ruling. He talks about the the new Jerusalem, which has the the pearl, the gates made out of pearl, and the golden streets and the stones as the foundations. And I mean, it's, everything is just incredible. Well, that's where he rules forever." He rules forever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why when people say something like this, it doesn't really matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you live because the the goal is to be able to go to heaven. Okay, no, because the goal is to serve him where? In the kingdom for a thousand years and then in the eternal kingdom for all eternity. So if you said it doesn't matter what I do, then for all eternity, it doesn't matter what you do. Okay, so what are you going to be doing? We don't know. When we stand before him, what do we want to hear him say? Well done. Okay, so let's talk about the next question, and that is this. Is this a literal kingdom? Do you understand that most people in the world teach that it is not a literal kingdom? You understand that, Right? I mean, we're we spoiled, right? Because we actually take the Bible in what we call historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. We believe the Bible. That means when it says in Revelation that he will rule for a thousand years, we actually believe that he'll rule for a thousand years. When it says he'll make a new heaven and a new earth and he will rule as the king for all eternity, we actually believe that's going to happen. Now, there are many, many people. In fact, there are most Christians in the world do not believe that. They do not believe that there will be a rapture. They do not believe there will be a tribulation. They do not believe there will be a second coming in the way that we look at it. They do not believe there will be a thousand-year reign on the earth. In fact, most Christians, and if you start naming denominations, I can tell you what they believe, but almost all Christians believe that it's what we call amillennialism, which means there's no kingdom. They say this, we're in the kingdom now, and it's a spiritual kingdom, or there is no kingdom at all. And that's how most Christians view it. They're not looking for a rapture. They're not looking for the Messiah to come get us and take us out. They're not looking for a tribulation. They're not looking for a thousand-year reign of Christ. In fact, when you take them to the book of Revelation and it says seven times that he will rule for a thousand years, they just say it doesn't really mean a thousand years because they don't take the Bible historically, literally, and grammatically. So I want you to understand when we say, is this a literal kingdom? Almost every Christian in the world, besides a few people who hold to what we call the historical, literal, grammatical interpretation of the Bible, almost all of them would say no. I mean, you can just start naming churches in this community, and almost all of them are all millennial. That all comes out of the Reformation. The Reformation, when when and what the Catholic Church which until the Reformation, Catholic Church was always amillennial from the 3rd century on, meaning from the 3rd century on, Catholic Church has taught there is no kingdom. They always have. When the Reformation came, and the issue was salvation by faith and the Bible alone, that sounds so good. And so the Reformers, the Reformation people, did exactly the same thing. They said Bible only and yet, they kept the exact same view that there would be no kingdom. So almost all anything coming out of the Reformation basically uh, held to no kingdom as well. Now, there's always been some throughout history, uh, people like Peter and Paul and Jesus and James and John and many of the first century writers and the second century writers, and then even later on, there were people throughout history that said, no, the Bible needs to be taken literally, and most... Denominations, most churches, most organizations said it doesn't, we don't look at it literally. In fact, I don't know if y'all understand this, but when you see the tribulation, when you look at the book of Revelation and it has the tribulation, most Christians believe that that was the persecution. In the first century against Christians, they say that that's what that's talking about. It's already past. There'll never be a tribulation. There'll never be an antichrist. That's what most believe. So when we say, is it a literal kingdom, we say what? Yes. yes. We're, we're rare, by the way. We're rare. And uh, so why do we think it's a literal kingdom? Because Is it a real time when Jesus rules or is there no kingdom? Well, first of all, it starts off by this. The promise to David. What was the promise to David? Did David have a throne? Did he sit on that throne? Where was the throne? In Jerusalem. God told Nathan to tell David that after David dies, he would raise up his descendant who would sit on that throne and he would rule forever. Do you believe that's literal or not literal? We believe it's literal. So the promise to David was that someday... And see, when Jesus came on the earth, you remember that a lot of people... We're seeing it in the book of Matthew that they're rejecting him. And we're going to see today that he talks about the judgment that comes for those who reject him. He's going to talk about it in that passage. But you notice that sometimes he would be walking. I don't think we've got to it in Matthew yet, but there's where he'd be walking and somebody would shout out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he would stop immediately because when they called him Son of David, he knew that they were believing that he was the Messiah and the King. So notice, anytime you see Jesus called Son of David by somebody, watch what Jesus does, because he immediately understands that they see him as the descendant of David who will sit on the throne of Israel. That's why the guys were at the end were upset. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and he walked on the earth. What was their last question to him? Acts chapter 1, verse 6. You know what their question was? Is this the time that you will restore the what? The kingdom. Because they thought he's the king. He's supposed to rule. He said, no, it's not time yet. And so the kingdom is the issue, and they believe that he's the king. So the first thing is the promise to David is literal in that sense. The covenant promises to Abraham, promised Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing, and through that blessing would be the Messiah and the Savior who is the king who would ultimately fulfill it all. That was literal. Look at this from here, all the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in many places, tell of the Messiah ruling as the king. Isaiah 9, 6 Uh, He sits upon the throne of David, Zechariah 9, 9. He comes as the king riding on a donkey. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he is going forth from ever. He will rule as the king. So the Old Testament says the Messiah will rule as king. Do you think it's a literal kingdom or not? Of course it's a literal kingdom. Look at the second thing. The next one. The New Testament tells about the kingdom. Revelation 19.11. Let me just read this to you. Revelation 19.11. This is why I love this because it says this. It says that I saw heaven opened and a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war From his mouth comes a sword. He will strike down the nations. He will rule with a rod of iron. You go to chapter 20, which I don't know if I have that Yeah, Chapter 20, and he says, I saw thrones, and he set on them, and they ruled with Christ and reigned with him for a thousand years. You see Jesus coming. The New Testament says He comes as the King. Matthew 25, we're going to get to that one of these days. It's going to take a little bit before we ever get there. But in Matthew 25, listen to this right here. This is a beautiful statement. If I can find it. Matthew 25, look at 31, let me get to it. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, He will sit On his glorious throne, and all nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them as sheep from goats. Where is he sitting? On his throne. Where is his throne? By, By the way, where does he come back? Where does he come back when he comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords? Where does he come? Where? Mount of Olives. Where did he leave from? Mount of Olives. The angel said, just as you saw him leave, he's coming back. He comes back as the king of kings. He lands on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to rule this world. And that's what his plan is. That's what his thing is. And so the New Testament tells all these places. And by the way, just remember this. Why is it literal? Because God keeps his promises. Titus chapter 1, God who cannot lie. When God made a promise to David... The promise was, your son, will set, you'll have a descendant who will sit on the throne forever. He will rule in righteousness. That's Psalm 2. That's Isaiah. That's, that's the Messiah. That's the one who is to come. So God keeps his promises. I mentioned this one a while ago, and I just want you to think about it. The disciples were expecting a kingdom. Listen, I'll, I'll read this to you. He has walked on the earth for 40 days. Now, let me show you something. This is what's unusual. He walked on the earth for 40 days. It says, he appeared to them 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. After Jesus died and rose again and walked on the earth for 40 days before he ascended to heaven, what was he teaching the disciples about? The kingdom of God, about the kingdom. And that's why they gathered together. He told them, go back to Jerusalem. And they said, Lord, is this time for the kingdom? And he said, that's not time. But they had to understand that's the plan. That's God's plan. So, is it a literal kingdom? What do you think? Okay, why do you think people take it non literal? You know why? Let me, me, I've got a second. Let me just tell you some things. In the fourth century, third and fourth century, there became great persecution against the Jews. And there began the fact that they called the Jews the Christ killers. So they hated the Jews. So a promise that one day the Messiah would sit in Jerusalem as the king of kings and the lord of lords and the nation of Israel would be the key, the church rejected that. And so any promise to Israel was considered a spiritual promise and been gone, and the church took it. So now the church is going to be the one who will rule the kingdom, but it's happening now, and it's a spiritual kingdom. And they call that replacement theology. All the promises to Israel have been rejected, and the church takes them. Now we don't believe any of this, but this is why is because they hated the church in the third, fourth centuries, hated Jewish people, killed many of them, called them Christ killers. And so all the promises to Israel were then transferred. To the church that went through the 4th century, 5th, all the way up to the Reformation and the same beliefs in the Reformation. If you talk to someone who is in Reformed theology today and you ask them, is there a future for the nation of Israel? The answer is, no, there's no future for Israel. We're the true Israel. There's no Israel. Now, when Israel became a nation in 1948, they begin to worry a little bit. Okay? And it's not over. So, let's take it. I'm looking at time. Let's do this. Now, what's next? What's next is this. Who is going to be in the kingdom? Who's going to be in the kingdom? Anybody in this room going to be in the kingdom? Raise your hand if you're going to be in the kingdom. The king's going to be in the kingdom. You know, it's funny to me when people will say we're in the kingdom now, and I say, where's the king? And I don't think it's that going that great. Do you all think it's going that great? In fact, doesn't Paul say toward the end that in the latter days, things will get what? according to Psalm 2, that when he rules as the king, it doesn't get worse and worse. In fact, it gets better and better because he's the king and he rules with a rod of iron and righteousness and justice. Do you see righteousness and justice all throughout the earth today? No. Do things get worse and worse and worse? So hear me ask you a question. Where is the king? If this is the kingdom now, where is the king? It's not the kingdom. Kingdoms in the future and the king is going to come. It'll be Jesus Christ. Guess who else is in there? All the Old Testament believers all the New Testament believers and the tribulation believers. Let me just show you this. When Jesus Christ comes right here as the king, The Old Testament believers will be raised to go into the kingdom. When he comes as the king, the New Testament, the church, we've already been with him. We're going to come back with him, and he'll do that. And then all the people who were believers who were killed in the tribulation, they will be raised from the dead. And all the believers who are not killed will go into the kingdom. So the kingdom, let me see if I can go back again. The kingdom will be the king, the Old Testament believers, the New Testament believers, and the tribulation believers. That's all going to be in the kingdom. That's who's going to be there. Now, it takes us to the sixth question, and that is this. What are believers' positions in the kingdom, and what will believers do in the kingdom? Now, that's why when you talk to people and you tell them that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, a lot of people say something like this. I'm not sure I want to go. What am I going to do, just sit on a cloud and just kind of sit around? I've had people tell me, what's going to be great about heaven? I go, well, you're not spending eternity in heaven. You're going to be on an earth. You're going to start off on this earth for a thousand years, and then an eternal kingdom for all time. And what will you do? What will believe? Believe, believe positions. Well, how does one enter the kingdom? How do you enter the kingdom? By faith. By faith. Both Old Testament and New Testament. By faith alone and Christ alone. How do you serve? How does one rule in the kingdom? By serving. So let me tell you this: Every one of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're in the kingdom. Whether you will be serving in a position of responsibility in the kingdom is a different idea. I want you to understand, ending in the kingdom is salvation. That's by faith. Inheriting the kingdom is rewards and service. And so, look at this right here. Based on rewards believers will have places of service in the kingdom. Now, I want you to understand something. It's not only the thousand-year reign of Christ, because we always talk about when Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom, we want to rule with him. Well, a lot of people think we'll rule with him for a thousand years. Well, we will. But then he's going to be this kingdom is also called the eternal kingdom. What are we going to do for all eternity? In fact, that's the question. What will believers do in the kingdom? What will we do in the kingdom? We're going to serve him. Revelation 22, verse 3. Let me read this to you just for fun. Revelation 22, verse 3. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God, that's the king, and of the lamb will be in it, and his bondservants, that's who? That's us. Will serve him. What are you going to do for all eternity? You're going to serve the king of kings and the lord of lords. Let me ask you something. Is, Is going to heaven and having eternal life the same thing? No, is, is being in the kingdom and having eternal life the same thing? It's very close because the kingdom's going to last forever and eternal life lasts forever. Now, there's going to be a time that you won't be in the kingdom, but you have eternal life because if you died right now, you'd be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So there's going to be some time that if Jesus comes in the clouds and gets us, where are we going to be for seven years? Where are we going to be in the seven years while the tribulation is going on? We'll be where? In heaven. See, so we're going to be in heaven for a little bit. If, if Jesus comes back before we die physically, we'll spend at least seven years in heaven. If you die before Jesus comes back, and let's say it's 50 years before he comes back, you'll spend 57 years in heaven. Okay. I'm just saying that. But your eternity is not going to be in heaven. It's going to be where? Thousand year reign on this earth and the eternal kingdom. So let me give you some applications. We'll open up for any questions. Let's, let's understand that the kingdom of heaven is the time in the future when Jesus Christ rules as the king of kings on this earth and the new earth. Okay? That's the, just to understand that. Second, whoops, that's the chart. Yeah, I was wondering that's the thousand years and then on into eternity. The second thing is, let's understand that the kingdom is a literal kingdom and all believers will be in the kingdom. All believers will be in the kingdom. Every one of us who know Christ as Savior. Third, let us understand that those who have served faithfully will be rewarded by places of service in the kingdom. And that's going to be different. And most people don't understand rewards. That's why who people who don't understand rewards, when you tell people, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have what? And you're going to be there forever, right? Can you lose it? No, and some people say, well, if you tell people that, they'll live badly. That's because they've never understood the concept of what? Rewards. Because if you live badly, what's he going to say to you when you stand before him? They, yeah, well, we'll be ashamed. He'll probably look at us and go, I'd like to give you some rewards, but, you know. So that's the, that's the king. Okay, let me stop for a second. Anybody got questions? We got, we got about three or four minutes. We can do some stuff. Questions, comments about this. Yeah, Doug. Uh-huh. Will we have a sense of time? I think we will there. Yeah. yeah I, okay, here's a great question. His question is, if, if it says a thousand years on the earth, will we have a sense of time? Yes, I think so. In fact, let me just say this. We've always said that once we get to the eternal state, there won't be time. And I've said that, but I may be wrong. I, it's hard to believe, but I could be wrong. But anyway, there, there's a place in the new heavens and new earth, if you remember, there's the tree of life which produces fruit. How often? Every month. There seems to be some kind of time aspect there. And I'm not saying it's time like, you know, I'm getting older because we're going to have new, new bodies and everything. So I think the concept of time may be there, uh, especially on the thousand-year reign. There's no doubt about that. That's on this earth at this time period. But even I think in eternity, there may be an aspect of time just from the tree of life uh, dif- giving different fruit every month. Good uh, question. Uh, question. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, Jesus has a resurrected body, right? Now, we when we die today, you know, he didn't come in the clouds yet. So we won't have a resurrected body yet, but we'll be with him. So we won't have a body. He will. Now, is that period where we're asleep here and you know, you know, but then Christ rise first, and the rest of us are in the blink of an eye if we're still here when the, when the rapture comes that period where we're asleep, he's got a body, we don't, that's the period, is, is that going to be a sense of time in that period where we're bodiless? Will that be like being asleep or under yeah. anesthetic? Yeah. Well, is, I mean, is there a, a question in here years years somewhere? A, <laughs> a million years could be a second. Yeah, okay, let me just say, here's so, what we know. Here's what we know, because there's a lot we don't know. But that's the gap. There. Okay, okay, right. the moment, when it says sleep, it's always talking about your body, not your soul. So we're not going to ever sleep like, I don't know what's going on. I woke up and I didn't know all that. Okay, that's the body. When it talks about sleeping, that's the body. To be absent from the body is to be where? He never tells us anywhere in the scripture what type of form we will have. It doesn't, it's never told. We know that when, let's say that you died right now. You'd be with the Lord. It doesn't tell us what form. When he comes back, what's going to happen to your body that's in the ground? It'll raise and connect with you. So he never tells us, I can't find well, anywhere Jesus has a form, and he's in it now. Well, he's got his glorified body already. Right. But, but if to be absent from the body, then be present with the Lord, means we don't have our glorified body yet. So he never tells us in the Scripture what kind of form we will have. And we don't know how long that will be once we're in that. Well, it, it'll, be un, it'll be until he... Well, we don't know if it's bodiless. It could be some other kind of body, Whatever but not a glorified body. Exactly. And we don't know how long that would be because, once again, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand well, years. A, it could be could a, blink. a blink of an eye. It could, it could. In fact, I actually think that I actually think that when you die and you stand before Christ and you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding stand... I think you'll go, Whoa, "Oh, oh, I'm here." And then you you'll meet with him and you'll go, Whew, "Okay. Uh, what about everybody else?" He said, "I've already done them all. I did them all at the same time because he's everywhere. It's not like we're in this line and I'm saying David's taking a long time up there." He's taking So I think that I think that even being with him is going to be like a blink of an eye, I think. But I mean, because if you said Uh, You know, it's it's been a thousand years since somebody died. What are they doing up there going, man, when is this thing going to be over? I don't think it's like that. I I don't. But we'll know when we get there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, at the rapture. Uh Well, you should hope not. But no, I'm just kidding. No. No, no, no. The glorified body is a body that will never decay. Oh, we'll all be tall, no glasses, a lot of hair. Uh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a great body. No, actually, we don't, I don't know. One thing about it is we will recognize, we can recognize everybody. We'll know everybody. And so it's not like uh, when you're, and here's what I don't grasp. We've talked about this. What about a three-year-old that died? What about a baby in the womb that died? What about a 99-year-old person that died? When it's all raised, it's, a person's not going to be a baby. A person's not going to be 99 years old. What are they going to be like? And and one of the issues that nobody knows is what we're going to be like, but one of the speculations is maybe we'll be the age of Jesus when he died, which was 33, you know, 33, 34. And some people would say, well, that's a good age for most I mean, for most people, 30 some is a good age. Who knows? We're just saying, but we won't be... Uh, you won't be a baby going through. You won't be an embryo going through history. I, I think that he takes human beings. I have, a tw- I have a sister that died when she was born. I've never seen her. Her name's Faye Carolyn. Uh, the cord was wrapped around her neck, and she died when, when they delivered her. And that was four years before my twin sister and I were born. One of these days, I'll see her, and as soon as I see her, I'll say, that's Faye Carolyn right there. I'll know her. I know her. I think we'll all know her. So does that help any at all? No. Okay, I, I, because we don't know. What, well, what, don't you, what do you want to know? It's a glorified body, but it's going to be where people will know exactly who you are. Maybe when somebody looks at you in eternity, you look exactly like they like they think you look. You know what I'm saying? So even if somebody looked at Susie, she might look different to them, but they still know it's Susie, and she might look different to me, but I still know it's Susie. I mean, let's say that somebody knew me, when I was 25, they may see me as 25. Somebody who knew me when I was 40 may see me as... Four. I don't know. I mean, we don't know. The Bible, they doesn't tell us any of this. I've gone way over, haven't we, Brian? I couldn't hear you. Say what? Yeah. They, they, they raised Moses and Elijah up to meet with Jesus. And Peter and James and John, immediately Peter said, this is Moses and Elijah. They didn't come over with name tags and say, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to meet Moses. This is Elijah. He knew it immediately. So we're going to know everybody. Now listen, when you get there, you'll look and you'll say, there's Paul, That's Paul right there. You'll know him, and he'll know you. That's when you, uh, it's, it, it's different stages, of course, but to be asked for when the body's present with the Lord, that's for some people. Other people, it may be the rapture when our bodies are changed. It could be for some other people when they're raised from the dead. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, you know, remember the resurrection is has three to four parts to the resurrection aspect. Can we keep going, Brian, or should we? we, I don't know. Okay, verse 5 of chapter 20 in Revelation. Yes. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 says, there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, and the thousand-year reign of Christ will have all believers from all time and the people who came out of the tribulation. He's emphasizing that in verse 4. He says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years are finished. I don't know if I can find it, but there. The unbelievers who die, go into the heart of the earth. At the end of the thousand years, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is part of his first resurrection, second death. When the thousand years are over, then there's this great white throne judgment. So what we find out is the unbelievers are not raised till right there. And when they're raised right there, that's when they stand before the great white throne judgment. So... Unbelie- the, the rest of the dead are all unbelievers who will be raised at one time at the great white throne judgment. They'll cast into the lake of fire. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that this morning in Matthew because he's talking about judgment. Oh, a Booth question. Oh, man, this could be bad. You never know about Booth people. Okay, do you mean like his literal body? We're somehow a part of his literal body? We know this, Okay, We know this, that we're the body of Christ, meaning that Christ is called the church, okay? The body of Christ is called the church. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're actually placed in Christ, in some kind of spiritual identification with him. And so we're all within the body of Christ. Now, he is everywhere, and he's the church, the body of Christ, and we are all got different gifts, talents, and abilities. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians so I'm not sure if you're saying that when, the, when the, I think the kingdom comes, Jesus has a glorified body, and then each one of us would have glorified bodies. I don't see us connected that way. Because when you get to the kingdom, there is Israel and the church and, and even the nations who are believers. Because you've got to remember from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, there are believers, but they're not Israel or the church. They're called the nations. So the saved people in the world are Israel, the church, and the nations. And we'll all be in the kingdom. So to say that everybody's got to be the body of Christ, only the church has been the body of Christ. The, uh, it's really, it's, it, the, 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 the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. Israel is the wife of Jehovah. That's what it says in the scripture. It makes that connotation. Okay, the marriage supper of the lamb, okay? Okay, he's asked the question, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, is it just for the Jews or the body of Christ? It is for the faithful believers. If you notice, when he sets up the kingdom, at the very beginning of the kingdom, there is what they call the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw that Jesus, I think we already covered this in Matthew, where Jesus said, at one time, at this supper, there will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Gentiles will be coming in to sit, at the marriage supper. And then he says, and some of the sons of the kingdom will be out in the outer darkness. And the outer darkness is not the lake of fire. The outer darkness is not being at the banquet. So the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is at the beginning of the thousand years, has faithful believers. If you have lived faithfully as a believer, you will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The book of Hebrews calls a metakoi, it's a Greek word which means partners. And so we'll be partners. For some believers who have not been faithful, they're going to be in the kingdom, but not at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's called the outer darkness. Now, a lot of people have been, just always heard that outer darkness means the lake of fire. It does not. In fact, it's only used three times. It's only used in the book of Matthew, and he uses it to be separated out from a special fellowship time. And so... At the marriage supper of the Lamb, faithful believers, Jews and Gentiles, will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we say Gentiles, we, we put the church there. Jews, Gentiles, church, all will be there. Not just- Faith, yeah, not just believers, faithful believers. That makes it kind of tough, doesn't it? You know. Okay, okay, Charlene. Okay, here's the great truth. In the heart of the earth, Luke 16, there's a place called Sheol or Hades. We did a little study on this already. And unbelievers, when they go, they go into a place. We just call it torments. It's the bad side. And then one day at the great white throne judgment, they will be raised to stand. And their names are not found written in the book of life. They're cast into the lake of fire. We don't know where the lake of fire is. In fact, some people have said that when you look carefully at Revelation 21, 22, there's the city, the new city, Jerusalem, and the new heavens and the new earth. And it, also, it, it seems to indicate there's something outside of all of that, which may be the lake of fire. That, that's all, it's just speculation because he doesn't, he doesn't say. Now, right outside the city is it's the lake of fire. Now, the first two people cast in a lake of fire is the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then, that's before before the kingdom. That's right at the end of the tribulation. At the end of the kingdom, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then, there's the great white throne judgment, and then the unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire. Nobody knows where the lake of fire is. There's even speculation that he hasn't even made it yet, so to speak. And he won't make it until he casts uh, the, the false prophet and the beast which we call the antichrist the bible calls him the beast in the lake of fire does that help any nobody knows exactly where it is ok when he says when Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard, uh, like a mustard seed and it gets smaller it's also like leaven that gets in a piece of thing and it gets bigger and bigger what I think he's saying is the kingdom of God gets bigger how does the kingdom of God get bigger by people believing in the Messiah. So, yeah, I don't think he's meaning that during the thousand years. Now, it is a great truth that during the thousand years, there will be people born during the thousand-year reign, regular bodies, and some of them will trust in Christ. You could say that the kingdom gets bigger that way. But I think when Jesus is talking about the kingdom gets bigger, like a mustard seed, which gets bigger, or the, the leaven that gets bigger, I think he's just saying that the kingdom of God you know, is smaller and then gets bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more people believe in the Messiah. It could, but he he, uses, he didn't say church there. He said the kingdom. So I would take it as the idea of all peoples believing in the Messiah, whether it's during the tribulation, whether it's during the kingdom, whether it's the Old Testament time. I just think it's people that, that the kingdom gets bigger. Okay, good, good stuff. What else? Anything else? We've got a few more minutes. Maybe five more minutes if we want to do any more questions. Or maybe no more minutes if you don't want to do any questions. What, we got one more? Charlene. Okay, Charlene has used, she's used her limit, but we'll give her one more. Okay. Okay, different subject. And she told me she's going to ask me a hard question, but she wouldn't tell me what it was. So this is it. Okay. A threshing floor? Well, there's some farmers here that could tell us, huh? Oh, a threshing floor was a place that they would take the grain, put it on the ground, take a wagon or something heavy, put something, and they would run over and crush all the grain out. Then they would come and they'd pick it up, and the grain would fall down and the wind would blow the husk away. And that's the threshing floor. And what a threshing floor was, it was a big area. And so when David came, the guy said, I want to buy that to build the temple thing or to put some stuff there.